life. Come on, dry bones awaken this morning, God. We thank you in your presence, God. You, you turn deserts into living streams, God. Any dry place, any desert place. Come on, the Lord says in Isaiah, did you not perceive it? I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to cause rivers of living water to come out of dry desert places. Come on, whatever desert places in your life. Come on, we all have deserts at times. In the presence of God. Lord, we're in, we're in your presence. We thank you for your spirit bringing things alive and bringing life out of dead things this morning. Or whatever, whatever might be needing your touch, your life, your breath. Lord, just breathe on it today. We believe that we're in your presence. We'll give you all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' matchless name. Come on, give him one more awesome transformation church praise, guys. I believe that for you this morning. If you believe it, say amen, amen, amen. Come on, it is good to see you the first day of the week. Look at somebody and say, this is the first day, day one. Look at somebody else and say, I'm in church on day one. It is good to be at Transformation Church with you this morning. It, you know, the cool thing about Sunday, it is the first day of the week. God always wants the first. And what's cool about giving him the first, if he gets the first, the rest is blessed. If, the, if he blesses the first, the rest is blessed. And so, man, you can expect an amazing blessed week because you're saying, hey, God, here's the first of my, of my week, the first of my life. And so it's cool to see you in the house of God. You guys are in for a, an amazing um, just uh, treat today. And uh, my pastor's here. Uh, one of our overseers. We have three overseers. You know that. You've, you've met some of them this year, and uh, we saved the best for last. But uh, we, had, uh, we had Thrive Night. Come on, any ladies go to Thrive Night? We had Thrive Night, and uh, Miss Jamie McCain spoke at Thrive Night, and uh, she killed it, I heard. Y'all had an amazing time. And so um, we actually, this morning, Pastor Adam McCain's going to come uh, bring the word. Pastor Adam, um, again, close friend of mine. We've known each other for about, I think, 100 years, 120 years, something like that. And... Uh, uh, he directed and was the director of Christ for the Nations Institute, the Bible school that I went to for seven years. Uh, we started a church together in Dallas and, and uh, with a group of guys, and then I came here, and, um, and now they are just uh, tearing it up in Cedar, uh, uh, Cedar Hill, Texas, and uh, it's called Church on the Hill, and he can tell you about that. But he, he's just been, a, uh, I don't know, one of the guys that speaks into my life, encourages me. Uh, brings blessing to mind. You need somebody in your life that can, can, can love you, can correct you. Come on. You always wonder, well, who could, you know the dumb stuff I say from up here? Y'all know that, right? Right? He's the one that says that was dumb. You know, <laughs> shouldn't have said that, you know, and uh, got people in my life that, that can speak to me. And so anyway, it's a great honor to have him here. Would you please stand to your feet and give a great transformation church welcome to my good friend, my pastor, Adam McCain. <laughs> Hey, you look so good. Turn to that person next to you and tell them they look good. Tell them that. Say, there you go. You may be seated. Thanks for standing, clapping. Hey, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Say yes. Come on. Wouldn't you rather be here than the best uh, prison in all of Tennessee? Come on. You're in the right spot. Wouldn't you rather be here than the best ICU room in all of Tennessee? Come on, somebody. You're in the right place at the right time. We are in a, um, we're in a series called Won't Conform. Won't conform. Would you turn to that person next to you and say, won't conform? Say that to him. Say, won't conform. And your pastor led out last week, uh, and, he, and, he, and he extracted this out of uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, where the scripture says, and let us, uh, let us um, no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but let us be transformed. See, there are patterns in this world. 
They're patterns that try to impose themselves on us the moment we were born. Uh, you don't even have to teach a two-year-old to be mean. They'll just go take a toy from another kid. It's just natural. It's a pattern of this world. And last week, Pastor Jamie really challenged us on the pattern to be independent. That we're going to do it our way. Blessed God, I don't need nobody. And he actually reminded us out of the Holy Scriptures that we're interdependent. We need each other. In fact, a kidney is no, of no value sitting in a Petri dish. It needs to be within the body. So you may be anointed and awesome and blessing and so powerful. And bro, you may be the greatest leader that, uh, you know, that your company has ever seen. But outside of the body, you're on your way to death. So that's what Pastor Jamie preached to you and taught you. So that's why we need you to connect with us, get in small group life. We don't do that because we're trying to grow a church. We just don't want you to die. Bottom line, we just want you to be connected. You want, you, the Bible talks about the blood of Jesus covering our sins. Well, how does that blood flow? It flows through all the body parts to you. And so if you're not connected in, you don't get any flow. And you're like, I just feel so alone with us and no friends. That's because you won't connect in. So I love you. God bless you. Now, today, second part, second part, I, I've been tasked with the second part of the series. And today we're going to look at the lie, the enemy's plan to bring anxiety on each and every one of us. In fact, do you know, uh, MSN did an article a couple of months back, a few months back, that, and they declare now that uh, 28 is the new midlife crisis age. I'm so mad. I finally got in my 40s. I was ready for my midlife crisis. I was going to grow my hair all off in my chest, get some change, get a Harley, only to realize that I missed it. It was at 28. I didn't even get to have a midlife crisis. Uh, do you know that, I don't know if you know this, but um, right now the United States, the companies in the United States lose $300 billion a year due to pressure-related health issues from their employees. 48% of Americans say that they are awake all night long because of the pressures of work. And 60% of Americans say, if I could change jobs right now, I would. I'm under so much pressure and anxiety. And friend, can I tell you, that is a pattern of this world. But Jesus has come that we might have life and life more abundantly. That's what he's come to do. Years ago, when my little boy was first born, our first child, he was real colicky. Now, gentlemen, what that means is he's got real bad gas. And so he cries, his stomach hurts, nothing helps him. And it would come to find out later, it was because of what my wife was eating herself and as she's nursing, that's going into his little system. But if you've ever had a colicky child, you know, a couple weeks old, they just, it's miserable for mom, it's miserable for everybody. And I can remember one night, um, she had been up with him all night long. I mean, I went to bed, you know, and said, baby, I, I, gotta, I gotta be at prayer meeting at 6 a.m. And uh, so, man, I, I hope it works out, okay? And she's, I can hear her in the other room and, ah, 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 ah. And then he get quiet and he start crying again. And somewhere about two o'clock in the morning, the light flips on. She comes marching to the side of the bed, sets him on my chest and said, he's your problem and walks off. Just walks off. Now, I asked her if I could tell this story and we got in a debate about it. She said, no, I don't want you to tell that story. And I said, why? She goes, because you don't tell it right. Because then what happened is I got up with him and I'm in a full-on panic mode and I know that she's about to go jump off a bridge or kill me. And so I figured, you know, I'll take this responsibility for a moment. And I took that child and I began to sing over him and pray over him. And within five minutes, he went to sleep. I just want to add that in. And she says, that's not the true part, but it's my story. So I get to tell it. All that leading into our key verse for today. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. If you'll turn on your Bibles and go there with me or we'll just put them on the screen for you. Either way works. And this is what it says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. In that holy moment, what Jamie, my, my wife, did was she took the anxiety that was killing her and she cast it on me. That's the mental picture I want you to have today. Because the pattern of this world is to stress you out, burn you out, get you so frustrated at life, at God, at church, at people, at your spouse, at your children. Anxiety is real. In fact, anxiety is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. Jesus did not create us to live with worry, doubt, unbelief, anxiety. He didn't create us to do that. That is not his plan. That's a pattern of this world. And you need to be able to walk in peace and enjoy. So if you don't mind today, I'd like to teach you how to go about doing that. Is it okay? Say yes. yes. Come on. You all right with that? Say yes. yes. See, I need you to understand. This scripture says, cast all your anxiety on him because he what? Cares. cares for you. Here's the problem. Most of you don't really believe he cares for you. I'll prove it to you today. But most of you really don't believe he cares for you. And the reason why you don't really need or think you need his care it's because you're americans bottom line and as americans you get sick you got a doctor you go to he'll fix it you get some kind of you know kind of stress moment you know you're losing your mind you go to a therapist you've got all these other people that you try to cast your cares upon but you're going to find if you've got any age behind you that the only one who can carry your cares is jesus christ he's the only one and so he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Cast your anxiety on me. I actually care about, do you understand? He cares that your car won't start and it's making you late for work and you can potentially lose your job. He cares about that. He cares that your adult son is, is, is living a crazy life and, and with addictions. He cares about that just the way you care. He, care. he cares beyond what you can care because he has a capacity that goes beyond your human capacity. He cares about those things. And sometimes you don't believe that. And so we got to get back to a truth that if we will cast our anxiety on him, that allows him to then care for us. Are you with me today? Say yes. Mark chapter 4. Let's study that for just a moment. Mark chapter 4. These are the 12 men that Jesus personally discipled. Can you imagine if Jesus came to earth and said, I pick you, let's go. And you're like, what? The king of glory is going to personally train me? I'm going to be an intern? Let's do it. This is great. Can you imagine that? That would be amazing. So these 12 guys, and they've been out preaching, healing the sick, raising the dead, and they've been ministering so much, and Jesus is exhausted. So he says, listen, let's go to the other side. Let's get in the boat and go to the other side, and, and just let's, let's go do some vacation stuff. And, he, and so they put him in the boat. And let's pick up in Mark chapter 4, or if you're dyslexic, that'd be uh, 4 cram. In verse 35, it says, uh, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, talking about Jesus, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. Now that's not a mad Indian girl. A furious squall is like a tornado, hurricane on the water kind of thing. A furious squall. That was funny, by the way. You should have laughed right there. I'm laughing on the inside. I just saw that. She, she was not an Indian. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and asked him or said to him, now, I would have thought they would have woke him up and said, Jesus, we're in trouble, help. That's not what they do. Look at their opening statement to him. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? See, one of the things I've learned about life is when we're trying to do it all in our own strength, we get mad at God and anybody else when we think they don't care. Jesus is not even moved by that, that they are in trouble. And the reason why he's not moved by it, because they, has, they haven't asked for help yet. 
Jesus will allow you, don't you? I, 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 let, I let my five-year-old act like that until they finally ask for it. Go ahead then, buddy. You think you can do it? Do it. Oh, you want my help now? Oh, you want, oh, now. Okay. All right. How about that teenager thinks he's got it all figured out? Okay. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, do it. Woo, great. That's kind of Jesus. He's passing. He's like, I don't need that. I'm going to go to sleep. And like, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, be quiet, be still. And then the wave died down and it was completely calm. So get a picture here. So Jesus gets his guys in a boat. Now you got to understand um, a percentage of his guys, about three of them, I believe, were professional fishermen. I'm from Louisiana and uh, I've been out on the water my whole life. I, I, I'm, I'm really good uh, at boating and uh, I've been out in the ocean many, many times in small boats when storms have come up. Now these men would never have set out on the water if they thought a storm was coming. They would have never done it. So this thing snuck up on them. And we have that all the time in Texas. We have that all the time in Louisiana. I don't know about Tennessee, but they just get, they'll just sneak up on you. So they, you couldn't tell, uh, the, you know, the weathermen didn't even know. And so they're in this boat crossing what is a lake or, a, or, or almost a small sea is what they call it. It's such a large body of water. It was quicker to go across it than to walk all the way around it. And so they're taking that shortcut in boats when all of a sudden a giant Katrina hurricane storm who just comes up. Jesus is so exhausted that he's kind of laid down in the front of the boat on a pillar and he's he's just passed out and all of a sudden i would imagine it started with and they're like whoa now they don't have a motorized uh, a boat here they're using sails and probably oars if they if they need them and so the wind begins to stir up and can you imagine that sail if you've ever been out in a sailboat and it, the wind gets a little too crazy it starts throwing that sail all around and then all of a sudden the waves start coming up and if you've ever been out in a boat or anything when the waves start not just crashing along the side but start tipping over into the boat <clears throat> it is a scary moment when it, you start taking on water so they're taking on water it has turned into a full <laughs> splash 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 and finally they get so desperate they go to him and say hey don't you care if we drown and i imagine jesus gets up looks around you know and goes quiet stop (laughs) cricket cricket y'all go on ahead i'm gonna lay back down i mean picture this in your mind but i think it's super interesting that Jesus did not act until they asked for help. And the reason why is because he had enough confidence that they could get us through this. And if they didn't have the ability to do it, then he could jump in at any moment and fix it. And I think some of the reasons why we carry anxiety in a place that we shouldn't, is because we think that we can go beyond what we have capacity to take. And so you keep taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it. And you look up one day and guess what? You're about to murder your spouse. You look up one day and you're like, I am going to go postal. And you've been listening to all these things on Fox News and, and, and on CNN. And everybody in leadership is the Antichrist. They're stealing all our money. And, they're, and, and you know, black, white, Hispanic, everybody's going to you know, just going to be this terrible thing. And you've got all this stuff stirring. And you're watching everybody on social media. And they seem to be having the greatest life ever. Social media is lying to you. I wish for once that somebody would take a real picture of themselves in the morning. Just a real picture. I wish they would actually video the vacation where it sucked so bad that they wanted to kill each other and they cut it short. I wish they would just tell the truth sometime, but they don't. It's awesome. We're looking, look at the pictures of steak and lobster we've eaten every night. 
And you're like, dude, our vacation, we ended up at, at, at Chick-fil-A the whole time. Thought that was a great deal. And the reason that is, is because we're comparing one to another. And so all of this being said, you and I have to understand that he actually cares for you. Now, I want to help you with something. Most of you live on a merit system, which is dead religion. Right. Let me tell you how you live. You live like this. Okay, I did five good things for God today, but I did, I only did four bad things. So he loves me. He's happy with me. What happens to the days that you do five bad things and only two good things? Then that's what, where I've had them tell me, yeah, pastor, I got in a car accident because, you know, I've been, I, I haven't done as many good things, haven't been coming to church as much. So God is punishing me because I'm not doing enough good versus the amount of bad that I'm doing. And you're living this merit system. Goodness, that is dead religion. That does not lead to life. That's not real relationship. And so because you live on this merit system, you keep trying to do more good things than you are doing bad things. The problem is, is that you're a sinner saved by grace. And so you can't ever do enough good things to warrant against all the bad things. And this is dead religion in and of itself. We're not in a battle of how much good versus how much bad we do. We're in a battle just to stay in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is a battle to stay in relationship, not to, not to outdo my, my, my wickedness. And so this, is, this thing is what's killing one, each and every one of us. So I want to teach you how to evoke Jesus' care action for you. He's the greatest RN in the history of the world. He cares for you. Let me teach you how to evoke that, how to get that moving in your life. And we take this from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. It says it like this. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 7. Here we go again. Another verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so it gives us three critical points here on how to evoke his care action in our life. Number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Jesus did not move until they humbled themselves and asked for help. Do you know why you don't ask for help? Because you like the drama. People love the drama. It's become your identity. You know, it just, I just lost another child. And I don't know where God's at. And it's every, every conversation. No no discount from the place of hurt and pain that you're going through. But ask him for help. Here's the problem. We keep casting all our anxiety on each other. Sweet love, you keep putting all that on him. He cannot fix that for you. There's only one who can take all the pain and difficulty and stress that you're going through. He stretched out his arms on the cross and said, bring it to me, bring it to me, bring it to me. You keep dumping it on her, bro. You're trying to find your identity in her. And so you keep casting all this on her and she keeps crumbling under and your marriage is in tr trouble and in difficulty because you keep casting your worry, carrying anxiety on the wrong person. And you need to humble yourself and say, oh God, God, I need you. I need you like I've never needed you. I have learned over the years to submit myself. And look what it says, under his mighty hand, under his mighty hand. I'm a smaller guy. And anytime I get around um, um, narcissistic larger men, they have this tendency to put their hand on my neck. Ladies, you ever had a guy do that to you? Almost try to control you, that kind of thing. And at least I, I'll kick him in the kneecaps. Get your hands off of me. I don't know who you are. Yeah, brother, come on, let's go back here. Get your hands off of me, bro. I don't think you know who I am. I will knock you out in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I am not submitting under your mighty hand. But the Bible tells us to submit under his mighty hand. In other words, 
Lord, put your hand on my neck. Direct me where you need me to go. I humble myself. I don't know what to do with this, Lord. I don't know what to do with this business. I don't know what to do with this situation. I can't fix it, Lord. Lord, if I could fix it, I would. But I need you. I need, to, I need your help. You know what? Many times when we ask the Lord for help, we ask him to do what we want him to do. Don't do that. Humility is say, I don't know what to do. I need your help. When you and I go, Lord, I want this. I want you to tell her that she needs to right now do this, Lord. And you can hear, I don't know why he's not answering my prayer. The Bible says, because when you pray, you pray with selfish ambition. And so what you and I need to learn to do is humble ourselves. He says, humble yourself under his mighty hand. Lord, I humble. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. I can't do it. And can I tell you, when you do that, he'll get up out of the, off of that cushion and say, stop it. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And it'll stop. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep, keep going what you got, you know, and he'll let you back at it. Here's the second thing he teaches us to do. And that is cast your anxiety on him. We're back to that. Cast your anxiety on him. Listen, stop asking everyone else to carry your anxiety. Cast it on him. Cast it on him. I can't tell you how many times I've watched. I, I'll see him coming. Same people on Sundays. They'll come. I'm, I'm up here. I'm worshiping God. And you can see him. They're going to tell. Hey, there's the pastor. They're going to tell. And then they come and they go. And they throw up all over me. Every time. And then this happened. And then this happened. And this happened. And this happened. I'm like, well, okay. Well, let me pray for you. And they look at me like, that's all you got? That's all you got? That's, that's all you got? They're like, yeah, I'm not Jesus. I'm like you, bro. I put my bridges on one leg at a time. I don't float in a heavenly place. I'm just trying to stay safe like you. I didn't ask to be the quarterback. He asked me to be the quarterback. I didn't want to be the quarterback. And I'm not the coach, and I don't own the team. I'm just the quarterback. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you the ball. Run, baby, run. That's all my job is. I'm not Jesus. And they'll, they'll come in and they'll look at me like, that's, that's it. Well, I'm going to go try another church then. I'm like, well, praise God. Thank God. Maybe, that past, maybe Jesus is in that church. I don't know because obviously you think I'm him and I can't be him. Here's the third thing that it teaches us to do. So number one, humble yourself. Number two, cast your anxiety on him. And number three, embrace the due time. This is what sucks in my Christian walk, the due time. I am the most impatient person on the planet. I live in Dallas, Fort Worth, and my wife loses her mind when she rides. She's gotten over it at this point. But when I first moved there, I'd never seen people drive like that except in India. That's the only other place I'd seen people drive like that. Not even in L.A. or New York. In New York, they just, they just determined not to drive. They just ride all the public transportation at this point. But in Dallas, everyone still has a car. And I realized if I drive the speed limit in the right lane, they're going to kill me. So I got smart and I realized there's open space up there and I got to get there. And so my wife will tell you, I'm the most impatient driver. I want it now. And when I get in a car, I am, it is a race. It is who can get there first in my mind. The moment I get, it's like a video game. I've got to win. And so I'm in and out of traffic. I'm just terrible. I'm repenting publicly. You get to hear it. Okay. So I, it is, it is a weak area for me. I do not like to wait for the due time. But can I explain something to you? God is at work on your behalf because he cares for you. Have you ever had a child ask you to do something and you're like, baby, we are going to do that now? Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And when are we going to go to Disney World? Is it now? No, baby, I said we're going to do it, but it ain't now. I can't take you to Disney World now. We ain't got no money. But I'm working extra hours 
So shut up and let me get some money together. And I'm calling Aunt Susie over there to see if she's got a place we can stay because we can't afford to stay at the little, the high-end hotel over there. I'm working it. It's going to happen in due time. But there's this due time thing. We want it now. We want it over here. We don't understand. He's at work, and it's going to happen in due time. Are you still with me? Say yes. The book of Zechariah is this prophetic book. You have these different books in the, in the Old Testament that are they're considered the prophetic books. They were prophets or things that transpired for the nation of Israel. The book of Zechariah is one of these prophetic books. Israel had just come out of uh, exile. They had been scattered all over, um, and they were being brought back to their land. And uh, there was, they were trying to figure out how to reorganize themselves. You've got tens of thousands of people coming back, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and they were trying to refigure out how to organize themselves. And Joshua is being considered to lead them And Zechariah has this prophetic moment where he sees in the spirit room. He sees what God's doing. I want to pick up there, and I want to read it to you. I think it'll help you. In verse chapter 3 and verse 1 of Zechariah, it says, And then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to him, Satan, uh, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing there before the angel. And they answered and he spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. So what's transpiring here is Zechariah sees into the spirit and he sees the sinfulness on the man of God. He sees it. His garments are dirty. When you see that prophetically in scripture, it's talking about the sin in our life. And he sees the prophetic, he sees, and Satan is standing there going, see, see, how can he be a man of God? How can she call herself a Christian? Look at the sin she's done. She can't be, look at this. And the Bible says that God himself looked at Satan and said, shut up, shut your mouth, get out of here. Yes, he's got dirt on him, but he's my boy and I plucked him as one from the fire. Then he says, and I will take responsibility to clean him up. Go put new garments on him. Go put new. See, I will clean him up. Can I explain something to you? The reason why you don't think God cares for you is because some of you are living on this merit system. You say, I'm not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. I know. And so, and you're hearing those lies. See, ha ha, you did it again. You looked at porn again. God doesn't need you. Doesn't want you. You're a hypocrite. See, you were mean at work again. And you call yourself a believer. And you've got scriptures all over your cubicle. Ha ha! Gotcha! And God himself stepped up and said, shut your mouth, Satan. Shut up. That's my boy. That's my girl. And you need to understand something. He cares For you, you are carrying anxieties and difficulties that you were never meant to carry. Three years ago, I had double hernia surgery, tears in in my lower intestines. When I sat there with the doctor, I said, why do I have this? He goes, because you got small man syndrome. I'm like, what? He goes, you picking up stuff you weren't made to pick up. He said, I bet you don't ask anybody to help you pick it up either. I'm like, no, I'm doing my man. Man, Nobody tell me to pick nothing up. And that's what some of you have is spiritual hernias. Because you're picking up things you weren't ever supposed to pick up. Can I, listen, all all those emails you're sending back and forth and all those things you're tweeting, has it changed the president? Why are you carrying that? 
The Bible says for us to pray for those in authority. You all worried about all this stuff. You carrying all this and ran, ran, ran. You posting that on that YouTube video? Yeah, me too. And I, why are you carrying that? You're going to end up with double spiritual hernia surgery by the end of this thing. And that anxiety and worry that you have is because you're carrying something that you weren't made to carry. And you need to cast that on over on Jesus and let him take care of it because he cares for you. He loves you. He knows you're not perfect. He knows you struggle. He cares for you. You're his son. You're his daughter. I, I need you to understand something. Years ago, when I first became a dad, I didn't, I didn't have a dad in my early ages growing up. My natural father um, didn't have anything to do with me. Got my mom pregnant when she was 16. I lived within 30 minutes of him, never met him, never knew him, never got a birthday card, nothing. So the abandonment that I, I felt. And so as a dad, I didn't really know how to be a good dad. My mom married later, and, and, and that man was a great man. He's my dad. But, but still, I didn't have those basic principles in, in place. And so I had to learn them. And, and, and I'm learning, and, 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 and I realized I was on a met, uh, you know, a merit system. And, and so I, I remember when I got the revelation, I started asking my kids, I would ask them, who loves you? And they say, you love us, dad. I, exactly right. And then I started asking them this question, why do I love you? Why do I love you? It was a test to see, had I created in them that the only reason I love them is because they're good or bad. And they, at first they would list all these different things. I, no, 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 no. I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're mine. You're a McCain. Good, bad, or ugly. You're mine. I love you. And listen, I love your kid. Great. But I'm not responsible for your kid. If your kid's acting a fool in Walmart, and be like, man, that poor family right there. Let's go, buddy. Let's get out of here. <laughs> but that's white people. See, black people, they ain't like that. They whoop anybody's kid. Come here. Come here. Ain't nobody going to act no fool up in here. I'll whoop, whoop you too. Wrong with you. Lost your mind. Care who you are. All, all, all us little white people, we like putting them in time, getting time out, Billy. Go sit in time out, Billy. As a black kid, you didn't know who's whooping you. I don't know. Who was that lady? I don't know, man. I ain't never doing that again. Because you just, you just don't know. It's amazing that you don't understand that he loves you not because you're good or bad. He loves you because you're his. Yeah. Glory. Yes, he spanks you because you're his. Yeah. He, my life is just terrible. I feel like I'm getting whooped by God. Oh, that's awesome. He really loves you. Because if he didn't, and Romans 1 teaches us, he'd leave you to yourself. But he intervenes and he whoops you and he tightens you up because you're his. And therefore, he cares for you. Because you're his. All you need to do is keep being his. I think you misunderstand sometimes. I know I do. That God has these promises about how much he cares for us. There's over 7,000 promises in the scriptures for those who follow God. And I want to just quote a passage at each and every, it's church. And, uh, and they gave me two hours to preach. All the new people are like, dang, I knew we should have went to Catholic church today. Dog. But there is a passage that every one of you need to have marked in your phone, in your Bible. It's Psalms 91. Can I read some scripture to you today? Would that be all right? Psalms 91. Thank you for letting me do that. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge and his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plagues that destroy at midday. Cancer won't get you. You won't be scared of it. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right side, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm, no harm, no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent for he cares about you for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways they will lift you up with their hand in their hands so that you'll not even strike your foot against the stone you will tread upon the lion and the cobra you will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me says the lord i will rescue him i will protect him i will rescue her i will protect her for see he acknowledges my name he will call upon me and i will answer him i will be with him in trouble i will deliver him and honor him with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation thank you God for loving me thank you for protecting me for caring for me years ago I learned about an ancient rite of passage that the Cherokee Indians had hundreds of years ago it marked me they would take their boys and have this rite of passage. And the way they went about doing this is that the dad would take that little boy and say to him, son, it's time for you to become a man. To determine whether or not you can be a warrior for us or whether you need to be removed from our tribe. He'd take his son way out into the wilderness, way away from any other village tromping down through this wilderness area until he got to a, the most secluded place he could find he set that little boy on a stump and said now listen the gods will see whether or not you're prepared to be a warrior whether or not you're ready to be a man I'm going to blindfold you and I'm going to leave you here in this great forest lives the Kodiak who's killed many of our, of our tribe in this great forest for the wolves that prowl by night. Hopefully they didn't pick up our scent. But if you're able to stay through the night, not run in fear, to face the demons of this great forest, the gods will smile down on you and you will be considered a warrior for our tribe. And then he would blindfold him and walk away. Can you imagine as... The sun begins to set. That forest area becomes so dark. The canopy of the trees keep you from even seeing the stars. Plus the blindfold. You hear the rustling in the bushes behind you. Is that the great Kodiak coming to kill me? The child's been left with no bow and arrow. No knife, no spear, no weapon to defend himself. Can you imagine the terror that he faced? As he heard the howling of the wolves off in the distance, wondering, have they caught my scent? Are they on the prowl to come kill me? Can you imagine as the snakes begin to slither on the floor of that forest? 
And that boy, minutes seemed like hours. As though it'll never come. Never. It'll never be over. And somehow, he makes it through the night. And he can feel the sun breaking as it dawns. The beams coming through the trees of that forest and hitting him on his, on his face. And then, as the sun is fully brightened, he removes that blindfold. And then, as his eyes are adjusting, just about 50 yards in front of him, at the base of a tree is a figure. His eyes begin to adjust. He sees his dad. He's not lefty. He stayed there through the night, bow in hand, knife ready to attack anything that would come against his boy. You may feel lonely and abandoned, but he cares for you. The stresses of this life you are not meant to carry. Stop putting them on your spouse. Stop putting them on your boss. Put them on the one who can carry all of our burdens, all of our anxiety, because he cares for you. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? I want to minister to you for the next couple moments. Would you do me a favor? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? We don't do that because we then send little elves around to steal stuff out of your purse and wallet. We do that because I want you to have a moment where you can concentrate. I want you to have a moment where you can see with your heart, not just with your natural eyes. And I want you to imagine that you're sitting with Jesus because he's here. Put yourself in a place like a Starbucks or a place of comfort and across the table, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to look deep into his eyes and repent and tell him I'm sorry because I haven't trusted you. I want you to tell him that right there under your, under your breath. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then I want you to do what he taught us to do in 1 Peter. I want you to ask for help. What has caused you such anxiety? I want you to ask for his help. I want you to ask, say, Lord, I'm full of anxiety because of this child. I'm full of anxiety because of my own sinfulness. Whatever it is, I want you to ask for help. I want you to humble yourself. Don't ask him to do what you want him to do. Ask for help. Lord, show me what I cannot see. That should be your prayer. Humble yourself, friend, under his mighty hand. And then right where you stand, submit to him. Say, Lord, I submit to you. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. He may tell you to go to repent somebody. He may tell you to adjust your schedule. He may remind you back at what you committed to in January that you've gotten away from. Whatever it may be, it'll be for your best because he cares for you. And he and he alone can carry that anxiety. Peace to you, my friend. Peace and joy as revelation comes. Lord, I ask for words of knowledge and words of wisdom to drop into the minds and hearts of these great men and women of God. I pray they would see what they've not been able to see. And Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I rebuke all stress, all anxiety, and I speak the life of God. And I speak, Daddy, standing up and telling the storm, stop it, enough. And I hear the cry of my father to the accuser that's always in the back of my mind, telling me I'm not good enough, telling me I haven't done enough. I hear daddy yell out to him, shut up. She's mine, he's mine. 
Come on, hear it. Hear it clearly. Stop living on the merit system. Come back to that place where he's daddy. Stop living on good or bad and start just settling in to the fact that you're his. Now, if you'll keep your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment, maybe you would say, Pastor Adam, I got to be honest, I'm not a Christian. And if I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. You know, maybe you would say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but life just happened. I feel separated, divorced, if you will, from Jesus. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that it's, it's not good. Friend, I got such great news for you. He's not mad at you. And not only that, you can't be too bad of a person. You came to church. You didn't think this was a club this morning? You knew good and well what you were stepping into. That was your heart. You want more of God. You want God in your life. And so, right where you're at, if you've been away from the Lord, I'd like to lead you back to Him. I'd like to... I'd like to I'd like to engage you in a prayer of repentance. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready. I want God in my life. I'm tired of living like this. Would you let me pray with you? No one's looking around. I've got every head bowed and every eye closed, but I need you to own it. I'm not going to call you forward. We're not gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to try to get another notch on my belt. None of that. I live my life to help other people Come back to Jesus Christ, just the way someone helped me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I need Jesus in my life. I want to repent. I want to pray a prayer of dedication. If that's you, would no one look around? Would you just lift your hand up? Make sure I see it. Say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I need, thank you, sir. Amen. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Give about three seconds just to give you a moment. Thank you. God bless you. You can put your hand back down. Thank you. See, it's time. Yes, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Come more. Thank you, bro. Thanks for your honesty. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of declaring that he's your God. You say, man, that sounds so easy. Yeah, that it is. Because all the heavy lifting was done 2,000 years ago. He went to the cross so you and I don't have to. He died for our sins and paid it forward. And so here and now, we're going to receive that grace and mercy. And we're going to dedicate ourselves to him. And we're going to become sons and daughters of the Most High. In fact, I would ask everyone in the audience, would you pray out loud along with those who've lifted their hands? I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I just want you to repeat this with me. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, everybody. Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But I ask you here and now to forgive me. And I declare Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome into a right relationship with the living God. Pastor Jamie, thank you so much. And I pray today awesome, awesome, awesome. you walk in his glory. Come on, man. Give Pastor Adam a hand. Thank you, brother. Amazing. Man, I'm so encouraged. I mean, I heard... People saying, yes, yes, yes. I don't, know. I don't know how many of you made that decision, but let me just say that that's the greatest decision that you can ever make. And you, start, you started a process and a lifelong journey with Christ. It's not a destination. It's the beginning of a relationship. So if you did say yes like that, we have a fresh start table in the back for you.